Hi, everyone. Welcome to Thursday Night Saws. Getting kicked off here tonight and got a lot going on. I hope to have a couple folks checking in here and uh, we're going to see if they are out and about and and ready to, to check in. I saw a couple on here. I'm Tim Hard, the host, and we are streaming on uh, YouTube, on uh, Instagram, and also on Facebook. Looks like everything is is on tonight, so it's uh, hopefully going pretty good out there. Please, someone let me know if there's no sound or anything like that. Hopefully, it's all, all coming through. All right, so we got uh, David Breeden, Chris Childs. So you guys are in? I don't see Chris yet. Let's see. There he is. All right. There so we got that. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Are you guys muted? Asked to unmute, it says. Yeah. Sorry. Happy New Year. I'm not I'm not picking anybody up. Let's see here. You got us? I think so. David, there you, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Happy New Year. Good. Very good. Happy New Year. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, tonight. We've got uh, several several things that we're going to be uh, discussing. And I just uh, wanted to kind of start off here. I've got um, hopefully everything goes a little bit a little bit smoother tonight. I want our first uh, thing I want to talk about is uh, auto tune saws. And I know David's got quite a bit of uh, of experience on that. And there's a lot of the a lot of the saws are going to the non-adjustable or they are adjustable, but not with a screwdriver, the auto tunes. And then uh, would be just any questions and things that you have on saw chain or saws. And we're going to be uh, talking about the, some of our Zoom training workshops coming up, storm sawing workshops. The training and chainsaw consultation that we have available. Uh, I've got some things I'm still trying to clear out of the e-store. And so hopefully uh, we're going to discuss some of those. Uh, I've got uh, some links and things to that. And then also the Legacy Instructor Program. And I don't think uh, Robert is dropping in tonight. We'll see here in a little bit. But uh, he said he might. And uh, but uh, Chris Childs, Chris Childs with God's Pit Crew, and and um, he does some training with forced applications. And then David Breeden, uh, Husqvarna, and he's a Georgia, North Georgia representative, and uh, has been working. I guess uh, are you going on twenty one years? I think now, huh? Twenty. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm working on twenty one. I just. We're about halfway through 20, so I'm right in the middle of 20 and 21. So I guess you could look at it that way. If you ask a, I guess if you ask a nine-year-old, uh, you know, how old they are, they'll tell you they're almost 10, right? So, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Almost, it's almost 21 years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I did. I sent you a couple pictures just to kind of – perk your uh, memory this week and and that uh, you looked a lot younger back a few years ago yeah much much different you pointed out that i had hair and and i don't think there was any gray in it uh i could still have some hair but i decided to get rid of what i had and of course all the there's plenty of gray now but yeah those are uh, that you know the gray is just uh, a sign of experience 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When, I when I uh, when I take a saw that I have as a demo and I sell it to somebody, they want to know why I want so much for it. I said, this one's experienced. So when you sell an experienced saw, it should cost more. A new one out of the box should be cheaper. <laughs> I, I understand that for sure. Uh, it's it's something where uh, the more time you put on it, the 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 better it is. I think you got you have a uh, Leroy, I believe it is, isn't it? I have Leroy. He's he was born in uh, 2011. Uh, I think like the 32nd week of 2011. So uh, I know that because he's he's important to me. That was an aged, aged saw. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's super cool. Um, I'm gonna be checking some some questions and things as we go through here. So I'm uh, if I'm looking around, that's what I'm I'm kind of looking for is all the chat lines. But um, another thing, I, I've got a video, David, that uh, put together, and it's on um, on looking at. Uh, this week's kind of head topic is auto-tune chainsaws. And uh, I, I've got a uh, a video that, that is actually for some of the dealer training um, that someone had sent to me. And and more or less, it's, it's about eight or nine minutes, something like that. But it goes through quite an interesting process. Now, I, I've sectioned it, took a lot out. It's about an hour and 10, 15-minute training. Um but uh, I've got it. I've got it set up so that so that you can um, take and and be able to uh, uh, look and and realize how the system works, and then also a really good graphic of of how it works mechanically in the saw. So I've got that got that set up. I want to I want to play it, and then we're going to uh, do some uh, discussion about that. See if anybody's got any questions and and all about it. So. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna play that and and we'll see uh, see how that goes. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what AutoTune actually is. And so with AutoTune, uh, it is a uh, a carburetor that has a microprocessor integrated into it, uh, which governs and manages engine power through the ability to control fuel uh, into the engine. The unique part about AutoTune is that not only is there a CPU board in the carburetor or uh, in, a, in the component, the module that's connected to the carburetor, but there is also a CPU board in the ignition module. Uh, and so uh, you'll learn in a, in a few minutes how they communicate with each other and help to get the maximum power and performance out of the engine uh, as it's running. The nice thing about this is that it's constantly uh, making adjustments so that as the operator, the end user is uh, using this product, it is getting the maximum amount of power all the time. And so it's always running at, at its best condition that it can adjust for. Now, AutoTune uh, has the ability to compensate for a lot of things. And so uh, it will compensate for different fuel types, whether you're using ethanol fuel or non-ethanol fuel, whether you're using 87 octane or 95 octane, whether you're using uh, normal pump fuel or canned synthetic fuel. Uh, it can adjust for altitude. And so depending on where some of you are located, 
you may have your store at uh, 2,000 feet elevation, and uh, and your operators, your end users, may be using the product at 6,000 feet of elevation. In that regard, AutoTune will adjust for those conditions, whereas in the past, you would have to go ahead and manually adjust your carburetor to get that saw to run correctly. AutoTune will have the ability to adjust for those conditions and allow the saw to run again at its maximum performance and output. And then, of course, temperature. So AutoTune has the ability to have a sensor in it that will allow it to adjust for temperature. And where this is really important is uh, cold mornings for a start. This product will uh, help for starting to be much quicker because it recognizes what the outside temperature is uh, at the carburetor. And so it knows what that, that intake uh, air temperature is uh, coming into the engine and it makes those adjustments immediately. Now, there is a, a, another way that AutoTune adjusts, and for us, uh, it's a little bit on the negative side because if the saw has, uh, let's say, an air leak, or if the saw were to have poor compression, uh, AutoTune will adjust for that. Now, the poor compression thing, not so, not so much a, a bad thing, but uh, it will make those adjustments, but if you have an air leak, AutoTune will richen that mixture until it cannot correct anymore. So if you were operating a standard carbureted saw, uh, that saw you would hear it rev really high and you would say, oh, that's really weird, something's up. As a technician, you would notice it immediately. On an AutoTune saw, it's gonna compensate for that and it's gonna make that adjustment. Is AutoTune will compensate for a dirty air filter. Now, if you had a dirty air filter in a standard carbureted saw, uh, that saw would be hard to start. It may not start at all. If it did start, it would run poorly because airflow uh, would not be good. The uh, AutoTune technology has the ability to compensate for that dirty air filter for people that aren't good mechanically. So it, uh, it's technology that with the technology uh, at hand, uh, when you pull the starter rope, uh, that activates the AutoTune module, and that AutoTune module goes to work immediately. There is a, a setup period that has to occur for the saw to adjust. And excuse me, we will, uh, we will show you what that actually looks like in a video later on, on uh, how the, the chainsaw uh, adjusts and how you tune it, basically, so that it is ready to go. I mentioned the, uh, the ignition module and, and those types of things. And so what this technology has in it is what you see here. What it's looking for is a range between 8 and 12,000 RPMs. And what it's also looking for in most cases is what's referred to as wide open throttle. And so if you think about it, wide open throttle on most of these saws that have auto-tune is going to be somewhere between 13,500 RPMs to 13,800 RPMs. And that's without a load assigned to that saw. Now we apply a load, and so we're looking for that range to be between 8 and 12,000 RPMs. What the saw does at that point is it does what we refer to as a lean-out test. And the saw will cut off fuel for a fraction of a second and see what the response of that engine is in that fraction of a second. So if we cut off the fuel and the RPMs drop, it senses that and says, hey, 
we need to make a fuel adjustment so that, that we're running at peak performance. Uh, same thing happens on the opposite side. If we cut off the fuel and the RPMs increase, then we were running rich, and so now we can lean out the mixture. The auto-tune module will acknowledge that, and it will make that adjustment, and it will continuously do that as long as the conditions are in tuning mode. What auto-tune is doing is it, it's adjusting the condition of that saw to be just on the verge of that lean-out seizure without going beyond where it needs to. So that's where you get the maximum amount of performance, the maximum amount of power, and, uh, and the saw performs at its absolute peak uh, right before that, that occurrence. So Auto-Tune is managing that all the time. Have you ever imagined being able to constantly adjust your carburetor to achieve maximum power under all conditions, including altitude, temperature, and fuel changes? That's what Auto-Tune does for you. Let's take a closer look. The heart of the system is the Auto-Tune module that constantly monitors the engine and adjusts the fuel mixture to achieve optimal performance. Powered by the ignition module and using RPM input, Auto-Tune constantly changes the fuel metering to always achieve maximum power. Inside the Auto-Tune module is a computer-controlled valve that constantly changes its position to optimize the fuel mixture for the current operating condition. This slow-motion animation showing how the valve works actually takes just one thousandth of a second to move the valve to make a mixture change. Auto-Tune automatically adjusts fuel mixture for all operating conditions. This eliminates time-consuming manual adjustments and keeps the engine at peak performance. Shown here, with a saw running at 13,500 RPM, Auto-Tune leans the mixture for just a thousandth of a second and monitors engine RPM response. Based on feedback from this lean-out test, Auto-Tune adjusts the fuel mixture to the engine, allowing it to always run at maximum power. While using the saw under load, Auto-Tune learns how to adjust the engine's RPM by safely enriching or leaning the mixture to meet the ever-changing demands the engine is exposed to. This presentation revealed the basic operating principles of the Auto-Tune fuel mixture control system. As with any system on an engine, there is no substitute for proper maintenance and care. Always consult your specific operator's manual for proper care tips and service operation intervals. The following training is designed for you to give more insight into theory, operation, and communication tools required to service this new technology. Remember, the more you know about how it works on the inside, the better you'll be able to service it on the outside. All right. I think we're back here. See what we have. David, this that video was some of the earlier, I believe, information that came out. There's been a couple other uh, phases since then, I believe. So what uh, what what would be your thoughts? Uh, are those 
key parts that you know operators need to think about. I I constantly get questioned about um, you know I didn't I haven't had it before. My saws have always been adjustable. I, I don't feel like I'm getting the right RPMs. I don't feel like I'm getting the right power. But it it, it basically does everything for you as long as you keep filters maintained, fuel in there that's correct. I mean, it, it, it takes a lot of the guesswork away from it for climate changes, uh, humidity, elevations, all that kind of stuff, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, the, the technology is excellent. That Auto-Tune has gone through a, a uh, you know, an evolution since that video. That, that video is probably dates back to 2008 or so, maybe. If I if I think back, uh, we're on uh, the third version of Auto Tune that's actually uh, that we're using in production. So, but fundamentally, it hasn't changed. I mean, you've got uh, a microprocessor on the carburetor that's reading information from the ignition module, and it's uh, making carburetor adjustments or or taking information eight to 10 times per revolution. So, you know, un not under a load, you know, at 13,800 RPMs, that's a lot of information very quickly. Um, it, in the way that I see most chainsaws ran today professionally, which are, uh, and, and, and keep in mind, most of the auto-tune uh, models are professional models. Uh, we still make a lot of saws that that have adjustable carburetors. Still, unfortunately, the federal government makes you uh, you, you don't adjust them with carburetors anymore. There's or with screwdrivers. There's a special tool that that are you know limited. We even limit those to dealers that they can only buy two a year. Um, you know, there's. I'll tell you, there's a $25,000 fine if you try to retail one of those to somebody, which I don't know of anybody that's ever been caught doing it or paying it. But so the, the saws, professional saws, most of those are being used by, you know, the tree care industry and they're being used by, you know, cities, counties and states, so municipalities. That's where the bulk of the professional chainsaws are, are sold and used. And I feel like the technology is great because they don't have the ability to adjust carburetors. They don't have the time. Uh, they're in the production business, whether they're cleaning a tree up out of the road during a storm or they're on a residential tree care job. Uh, they're being paid to get a job done and get it done quickly. And, and this feature just increases the performance of uh, of the chainsaw. If there's anything by talking to technicians, cause it's been out there so long, uh, people are resistant to change. It's just the way things are. You can't stop progress. But as I talk to high, highly qualified technicians and I ask them what they dislike about auto tune, it, uh, it, it sometimes complicates the, uh, process of diagnosing issues uh, because sometimes like he mentioned in that first slide, I mean, if the saw has an air lead, auto tune realizes that and it's trying to, 
to make the saw run as rich as possible. So, you know, technicians trying to figure out what that is. And, and on a traditional chainsaw, I mean, that's a catastrophic failure in some cases, unless the operator understands, you know, like he said, the carburetor, the RPMs go up very high, very quickly. If they are able to identify that, they may realize it and stop. But most people are just going to continue to run the saw, and that's going to cause a catastrophic failure. So um, nothing is 100% perfect, and I think the technology is great. I, I really like it, and I think it's made chainsaws better. I think it's made them uh, – you know, provide more performance to the end user. I think I think that anyone that's looking, you know, see a lot of saw modifications and things like that. People are looking for peak power, peak RPM, those kinds of things. And and um, the Auto Tune actually does that for you. Uh, I think that the the issue is it, it makes it a little bit when people have bad time with it. Um, is is that if you had a, a, a a screwdriver carburetor and you're running it and the filter gets dirty, you know, it's, it's going to start slowing down. It's going to get richer and richer. If you have a, a, uh, a situation to where you've got a, uh, an air leak, you're gonna, you're gonna hear RPM go up, you know, with the auto tune, it happens. And the same thing, you know, in any of the uh, non-adjustment carbs, as it starts to compensate for those things, if you've got a dirty filter, it just it just slowly takes and leans it out till you've got sometimes more or less overspeeding or not overspeeding. It regulates that, but it it does start lean seizure situation, high temperatures, um, detonation, those kinds of things. But it's it's you know as long as you keep the filter clean, an air leak and stuff it compensates for. So that keeps you from having a, an issue of, a, of an overspeeding. The power just drops. And, and that's, I've noticed that working in higher altitudes that um, it, it's a little bit, little bit tricky sometimes if you have a, a, you know, a dirty air filter at all. So it's something where maintenance is key there to, to keep that power up and let that electronics do what it's supposed to do. And it's, you know, it's not only regulating the fuel, it's regulating spark too. So it's changing uh, your timing or intensity of spark to be able to to uh, take away those problems there. So, I mean, it it's always worked really good for me, but uh, a lot of people have, have had issues with it. So, but uh, I, I, like I mentioned there, I think one, one big thing is, is that you, you need to to think about if you understand how it works, then you can troubleshoot it. If you don't understand how it works, and and oftentimes a lot of of uh, uh, mechanics from my day, um, you know, you you end up with them uh, thinking about I I don't understand how to do this. What's a car, truck, or chainsaw? I don't understand how to do it. It doesn't it doesn't have points of condenser. It doesn't have a screws on the side of it. So it's 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 something that's out of my league. But uh, with the proper equipment, you know, and that's what the dealers have. Uh, it gives you the ability if if they understand how it works, you can be able to troubleshoot it really really great. So. Uh, and I, I don't know um, 
what we have here in in uh, questions and and answers, but uh, we've got several that are are watching here. We've got some on other topics there for sure. Uh, one of them, Chris, you you might be familiar with. Uh, Brian Amador said, uh, I have a question. There's like a little breather hole on the 461 gas tank. Uh, it leaks gas. Is there a cap for it or something? And I think what he's talking about is the tank vent. And uh, this time of year is pretty tough on it because the uh, temperature is raising and lowering ends up uh, building some some pressures and especially when you have cold weather gasolines that get into 70 and 80 and 90 degree temperatures it builds a lot of uh, uh, tank pressure because of the reed valve pressure and that's how they they regulate the psi that uh, that fuel will uh, you know what the fuel will build itself in a container and uh, so what happens there is is that it gets up higher than that tank vent can handle and you have to have air coming into the vent to be able to get fuel out of it to the carburetor so they try to set them up and i don't know uh chris or david if you if you know what that is i i used to think it was like four psi or something like that was the the bleed down pressure i know that the inlet needle uh, is somewhere around that. And I used to see issues to where the the inlet needles would actually pop off their seat because of tank pressure, because the, the valve couldn't, uh, couldn't release it fast enough. And I, I've checked them over the years, back years ago, doing a lot of fuel tests uh, of 20 to 25 PSI that, that fuel would build in the tanks. And there's no inlet needle that's going to stay on the seat at that. So what happens is it starts running past it and the fuel goes through the carburetor into the crankcase or leaks out. Same thing that that vent, they have to have a, a level on it. And so that vent uh, takes and uh, uh, allows the pressure to come out to a certain level. Then after that, it's going to start forcing it past the inlet needle or coming out that vent system. So uh, best thing you can do is, is um, really consider the, the, the fuels volatility there in the, in the pressure builds. And so uh, maybe vent your tanks, vent your caps on the, on your gas cans, that kind of stuff. Let some of that die down. And it usually only happens this time of the year, January to March, April, because that's when you have the winter gases coming out of the pumps and the, uh, uh, you know, they start moving them south as quick as they can. But like this year, it's cold one week, it's hot one week, it's cold the next week. And that's what's happening is building pressure in that. You got a bunch of people checked in on Instagram. I don't see any other other questions on that. I have a uh, some questions on uh, on YouTube. What I was uh, David. I don't know if he's tried to check in or not, but uh, evidently not. But uh, he said he posted the other day. There's he saw that there's no reason to cut a notch on a tree like that. Just 
bore cut, leave out an inch of sapwood and bark for hinge. <laughs> and I think he's he's talking about somebody commenting on uh, Chris's leaner uh, video last week. And uh, you know, a lot of people think that with with leaners, there's there's not a not a need for for having a uh, a face notch. But uh, what happens on that, Chris? I think you mentioned it in the video. What what happens on that when you uh, when you don't have a face notch on a leaning tree or any tree that's moving faster than you can remove the back cut to the hinge? You talking about a barber chair? Well, if the face notch closes, or if you if you take the tree without a face notch, it's gonna you start in the tree from the back. What's gonna start to happen? It's gonna start to split, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, if if you just want the tree to fall and hit the ground, it will work. But with my face notch, I have control. I can aim the tree. I know where the tree is gonna go. Um. You know, that that's my big thing. I want to have as much control of that tree as I can possibly have. And we had Warren Causey check in. Any comments on that? You know, a lot of people think about small diameters and larger diameters. Um, but there's, you know, it's something to where you, you start to, um, to think about a, a small tree will, uh, pop you in the face just about as big as a, a a big one will split and come at you, you know? I don't want to get yeah. hit by any. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Chris, you know, really nailed it. I think with that face notch, it's all about control, and you really sacrifice that when you don't implement, you know, using a face notch. Like you said, you probably get it on the ground, um, but also uh, envision – um, in that situation, you have a lot of a lot of fiber pool as well, um, even below the uh, you know the root crown into the into the ground as well. If you don't use a, a face notch and just kind of bore in and leave the uh, the sapwood and the bark to to maintain your control, um, I think I think splits going to happen whether it's a uh, vertical or uh, you know both vertical, but upward versus downward, I think you're going to have um, fiber pull either way. I just don't think that's a great situation to be in. <laughs> uh, David, your thoughts? I mean, they hit it dead on the head. I mean, I want to, you know, if you don't use a notch and you take a heavy leaner like that, you're create, creating a, a scenario of chaos and I don't want uh, chaos when I'm felling tree. I want to have control. Uh, I promise you that person's going to be cutting a little bit and running if they've got any knowledge at all about what's about to happen. And that's just not a good situation. I mean, there's you know, there's a there's a lot of ways to do things, and there's a lot of techniques. Not all of them are smart. Not all of them are right. So. Mm. Yeah, I, I I think the important thing there is understanding the plan, and I think a lot of people uh, that I've seen over the years try to to uh, you know pick up production by doing things quickly, and then all of a sudden you have uh, a stuck saw, or you have a a situation that the uh, the tree doesn't go exactly right, 
or something safety wise happens to the operator. So it's it's important that they they have a plan and understand what that possibility is. Uh, question, David came is that from uh, I think this one's from David Johnson. No, it's nine hundred two hand. Uh, so how would the saw owner know if an autotune saw has an air leak before it's too late? Um, it would be you know. If you think about uh, the carburetor functions that uh, that that you associate with the running too rich, so uh, it might not achieve the maximum RPMs, or you know it may stumble on acceleration. Um, so if you go back to the training that we do, you know if you got high speed the flutter and then it idles without the chain turning and it idles in all positions and it accelerates without hesitation, then those are, you know, that, those are those are the carburetor functions that you want in a saw that's properly performing. So um, you could maybe be missing out on some of those and, you know, know that you've got evidence of, a, of an air leak. And that, you know, uh, it's not always going to be that. Uh, one of the things that I failed to mention when I started talking earlier was as, as auto tunes evolves, so has the tech, the methods to reset it back to its factory setting. Um, the, the, the first versions that I saw, you needed a nine volt battery to do that. Uh, it was kind of interesting. It was kind of an afterthought, but you know, and then the, the second and third versions took a good while to do, but, now, I mean, when I when I re when I set my saw back to, or when I calibrate it by putting it under load, within sixty seconds, I can hear the the auto tune adjusting the high speed and low speed, uh, and you can I mean you can hear it. It doesn't require a lot of training, and in our video that we made, I mean we demonstrated that so. Um, so any any rich feature to answer the question would be maybe an indication of that. But but that could be other things. That could be a dirty dirty air filter. So you still you know it's still two stroke theory. You have to diagnose what the issue could be. Um, had a great conversation yesterday with the technician about about an air leak. You know sometimes air leaks get created by the chainsaw operator you know if you i know nobody on here has ever done it but occasionally you'll see somebody get pinched right i mean even the great tim r been pinched before and so you know you get you get the bar you know pinched in a log and the natural reaction is to start jerking on it before your buddy sees that you got pinched and you got a chain loop that runs around the nose of the bar. And on the other end of that loop goes around the sprocket, which is attached to the end of the crankshaft. And so when you start jerking on that saw very hard, if you think about where the force is going as that tip of the chain is being pulled, pressure is going on the other end. And you got a crankshaft that runs directly through the center of the saw from the clutch all the way over to the flywheel. And that's putting a lot of pressure on that. And, and, I, and 
and, and you don't think about what kind of damage you're doing. And you may not see that for several weeks as the leak gets larger and larger. So, you know, there's things to, you know, if you get pinched, there's ways to get it out. Don't just, you know, snatch on the saw because you could be, you could, you could fracture crankshaft that, that breaks. I mean, I, you don't see that a lot anymore. I mean, if you look at the internals of these chainsaws, there's a, there, there's, substantial uh parts there and there it's high quality and uh but but you know damage gets done things don't just break on their own yeah there's a lot of a lot of times that we don't we don't recognize it i, I remember uh years ago i was i was after hurricane hugo in south carolina and i was uh we doing some work with warehouse uh, west vaco and um I was going out to some dealers in the area and, and one of them mentioned about, you think there's something wrong here. I've got like four of these saws in and they've got broken crankshafts. And I, I said, uh, well, let me go get something. I went out to the car and I came back with a wedge. I said, how many of these you sell? And they said, well, we don't sell many of those. I said, well, how are people getting out of stuck situations? And so they're jerking on the saw. And many times what I would see in, in, in stuff coming in warranty and all would be um, you could look at the crankshaft end that broke and it would be smooth on one side of that that fracture and, and broken like, you know, quick on the other side. And what that is, is it cracked because somebody got stuck and pulled too hard. And then basically it uh, it kept going until it it came off. So it, it might be I pinched this thing last Thursday and I'm cutting tomorrow and all of a sudden the crankshaft breaks. And you don't realize that, you know, if you don't understand what, what causes it. And in many cases, the manufacturers have bulletproofed some of that stuff because they've they've changed bearings or they've changed crankcase designs, those kinds of things, crankshaft designs to be able to work better with it. But that 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 stuff that uh it happens, it can it can be abused and and sometimes the operator doesn't know it. And that, that's like I think too with the the auto tune is you're gonna notice a, a power drop. You know, like you was talking about there is, is uh, you know, how do you how do you know that? Well, it, there's going to be a there's going to be a power drop. You're going to start to see the the RPM changing. It may not idle as well. Those kinds of things. Something's got to be uh, causing the issue. It could be a part. You know, it could be an air leak. It, it, it might be a dirty air filter that needs to be maintained. Uh, it could also be fuel ratios. Uh, you know, when you when you start to look at those vapor pressures we talked about a few minutes ago and stuff too, that affects what that little machine is trying to compensate for. So it, it's kind of kind of goes hand in hand, and, and understanding that, um, you know, that's how you would know if there's an air leak or something too late is you're going to start to to see some some power drop, and the same thing will happen with a carburetor that's adjustable. And that's and what. Yeah. Go ahead. Point. One important point that was made in that video you showed, he said that when it detects an air leak, it will richen the saw until it can no longer do it anymore. Mm -hmm. So when it goes outside of the parameters, the saw may still run, and then you lose that ability and you get possibly overspeeding. I mean, I see auto-tuned saws that have, you know, lean seizures. I mean, it's not... 100% of the time, but many times it'll save it. If the 
operator is astute enough to understand that my saw is not running properly. Um, if they just continue to run it, things things could happen. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, like like if you if you had one with a with an air leak, remember he said that it was like between eight thousand and and thirteen thousand five hundred or something like that. The RPM. Yeah, so at least twelve thousand to thirteen five or something. He said, he said under load eight eight to twelve, but yeah, yeah, thirteen five to thirteen eight. You know, out of you know, not under load. Out so of, let, let's say one other one other issue is uh, let's let's go to an aggressive chain. Let's say we really want this thing to cut. We're cutting softer woods, and we want it to really cut. So we take the depth gauges down, and we load that engine up, and then we have an air leak. What's going to happen? It's gonna it's gonna start to try to lean it out even more, isn't it? Because it's trying to bring the RPM back up. So combination of stuff like that. And and those kind of things happen with uh adjustable carburetors and elevation too. So it's all that the operator needs to understand how it works. I've always been one if I understand how it works, I can usually keep it working. If I don't understand how it works, then I get frustrated with it and somebody else is at fault, you know? <laughs> And that's true. Sometimes it is a bad situation. Sometimes it is a bad part or a bad saw or whatever. But in a lot of cases, it's it's something that caused that to happen. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize I traveled the country for years. People don't don't realize that if a saw model starts to show up, you know, if you, you had problems with it and, and somebody says we haven't had any problem with it, it's probably something kind of individual because, when, when you have something like a part issue or a carburetor issue or ignition module issue or that kind of stuff, it shows up in batches. And right. also regionally to some case too, cold to hot weather, dry conditions, all that kind of stuff. All, all of that shows up. And and so it's it's important to, to think about the troubleshooting process, understanding what those basics are. David said that makes sense. Well, that's good. So we got a good good answer to that. Awesome. Let's see. I know when David Vossler said, do you need to change the fuel filter? Of course. Uh, as part of, you know, your standard maintenance, uh, regardless of what brand you have, um, you know, look in the owner's manual and look at the service intervals. Um, but, you know, definitely, you know, make sure that, uh, I check my fuel filter, you know, every several months. Um, it's easy to reach in there and grab it when you're changing, uh, when you're filling up to, you know, to see if your filter is dirty. You know, the filters that are used by the major brands are you know, excellent quality. Uh, so I would say, I don't know, I'm ashamed to say I can't tell you what the owner's manual would say, but. I'm going to assume it's going to say once a year. I think if you did that once a year, I think you would be, you know, would, would be good. I mean, it's not as frequent as you need to change your air filter. Uh, that's probably the most important thing that you can do to maintain the performance of your chainsaw. That and the fuel you run. So air filters don't last the life of the saw? Air filters, unfortunately, don't. I mean, you know, think 
technology like auto-tune makes, you know, maintenance less frequent, unfortunately. Um, and that, you know, that, that if you, if you tapped out your air filter daily, that's not too much. Um, there's a lot of air that passes through there and talk about running something running 13,800 RPMs. That's a lot of air that's passing through that filter. And if I, if, you know, it's the nose of the chainsaw, if I had a, a stuffy nose and somebody asked me to run a, a, a marathon, it would be very difficult for me to do that. Uh, Cause be able to breathe. And uh, so you have to keep your, chainsaw's nose clean i know in the rdt system uh like with the uh, some of the the mills and things where they had crews i i, I used to suggest to replace the filters we just you know checking filters and, and that kind of thing fuel filters uh were about 120 hours uh, i think from a homeowner or firewood or most production situations at, at least once a season you know every every year starting the season in the fall if it's a uh uh you know a firewood saw but if it's a full-time user looking about that 120 hours which 120 hours is a, is a long time actually so uh you know it, uh, and you might be able to go longer than that it's, it's according to what your application is what type of wood you're cutting how dusty it is how you store it you know all that kinds of stuff goes along with it so Chris, what what do you use as far as uh, uh, the volunteer saws? What, uh, how often do you change, or do you change the the filters and fuel filters? Yeah, we change the fuel filters probably twice a year, and then we tap the air filters out every day, and uh, then they just go by the owner's manual on when to change the air filters. Um, we run in the Tool trailer. I got forty saws, fifteen of which are the auto tunes. Um, I'm going towards all the auto tunes, just uh, as saws wear out. Everything we run is professional grade, but I love them. I haven't had any issues. Hmm. Warren, are you using auto tunes? Uh, we're using uh, yeah, the Mtronics on some of our saws uh, from Steel. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we also use all professional grade um, 261s, 500i, 462, you know, that sort of thing. Um, some of our, like, introductory training saws, we'll use, you know, like the 271 Farm Boss, that sort of thing to kind of get people introduced. But all of our uh, all of our stuff in the fields, the, the professional, and we're kind of like Chris, we're we're about half and half right now um, on the Mtronic versus just traditional um, tune, you know. So we're, we're migrating, you know, as as things as things progress. But it's about where we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I've I've had really good success with them. I think it uh, they they start much easier. Uh, you know, as long as you maintain them, they start easier. They they work good in elevations, uh, up and down, going across areas. I mean, it it's just um, it's just a much simpler system than than having to recheck and do. Plus, it made it easier in a lot of my training. I, I didn't have to do uh, hands-on carburetor adjustments, <laughs> so it it, uh, it made for opening up a, a few more minutes for breaks anyway. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's something that. Um, 
uh, if you understand it, you can you can make it happen. Let's see, thing, David Justice uh, did. Go ahead. One more thing. Uh, you know, to me, when I saw you know the data that you can pull from Auto Tune, probably the most important thing for me, um, and from a perspective of talking to end users, because you know you take a certain you know, end user who has starter problems in everything that he has. Doesn't matter if it's a trimmer or a chainsaw, a blower, he's always breaking the starter ropes. And, you know, and, and you know through training that most of that has everything to do with his starting methods and, and poor starting methods. But when you look at auto-tune data and it tells you how many times a, a chainsaw has been started, that's not how many times that rope's been pulled. I've I've seen some saws that have had that's that's got four thousand starts. So when I start looking at that, and and my five sixty two is one of those, and up until at four thousand starts, it had the original starter rope, and and I it blows me away that you can build a starter housing that lasts that long and some some components of that housing were starting to break down, but the rope was good. And when I show that to an end user, it blows their mind. Like, you know, how many times have you pulled this rope through? It's amazing that this stuff can last this long because the time is not to me, the hours on the saw, because most people think, Oh, you know, I put thousands of hours. It's not happening. Um, a lot of times they spend more time idling than they do uh, at wide open throttle, and it gives you all that data. But, but the amount of start that's that's eye open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think the video talked about it. It it starts that process of working the auto tune when you pull the rope. So in other words, it starts using that electrical charge to start that system, and. Um, you know, I, I I don't know how many times my saws get pulled. I mean, when you start thinking about it, you got twelve people and and just doing a, a presentation to start with, I probably start at least 10, 12 times. And then you got probably three starts a piece for each one of the people. I mean, and then you go and you've got that saw for for three or four years. There, there's there's a lot of starts. I I had to replace, I think two ropes and a, a lot of that was because the the handle gave up is it wasn't the rope broke the handle gave up and so uh uh that's that's something that's it is amazing but people have trouble with starters all the time because of yes you know and uh, it's it's something to where uh, they don't understand how it works there and so it's uh, it's something that uh uh, it's just some understanding. Uh, so David Vossler wrote too. What What do you think about foam air filters that are oiled on pro saws? And I'll give my two cents on that to start with, and then something which I'll say. I I think they do a, a great job. I think most of them have gotten away from some of the pre oiling uh, 
on it. When we started off with the uh, K&N was working with us on the uh, saws that were out west of Mount St. Helens dust, those types of things years ago. And uh, we oiled all of those to make sure and capture all of that fine particles. And the steel filters today and stuff are still used. Now. Husqvarna filters are using the same process now, too. And then you've got the pre-filters at the flywheel that takes away a lot of it, but a lot of smaller dust still goes up through. One of the biggest issues that I see with, with foam air filters is people don't keep them out of moisture. You can't you can't run a two cycle engine with a moist air filter because it pulls the water particles in through the filter and it will uh, it'll take out your intake side of the piston pretty doggone fast. I mean, when I say doggone fast, you, you know, over a period of of a, a firewood season, you're going to end up with a scored cylinder and piston. If you're out there working and you're keeping it in the back of the truck in the rain and, uh, you know, those kinds of things, and you don't dry that filter out before you start with it, you're going to end up with cylinder and piston problems. And sometimes if you don't use it regularly enough, you're going to end up with crankshaft bearing problems also because they're going to rust up. So uh, foam air filters. That's my thoughts. I love them. I think they do a great job of filtering, but uh, it's it's something that uh, a lot of times they the modified systems uh, you got to make sure you keep them dry. Let's see here. Anything else? Any comments on that? I don't see anything else. Let's see. I saw one David Johnson had wrote. There's, he said that was a great explanation talking about the auto team. He said, I've been using a 550 XP for a few years and liked it. So we bought a 572 XP. Uh, I have always been careful not to make my sauce too lean, so I tend to run detuned. What happens on detuning, David? Uh, well, you know, you're going to generate a lot of heat. Uh, you know, a saw that runs the coolest is, you know, wide open throttle, so, you know, with the proper fuel and air mixture. So if you got you know, more fuel than, than, than air and, uh, you know, detuned saw, you're going to create a bunch of heat. Yeah. It, uh, it, it doesn't burn very clean. And then uh, a lot of times people don't realize that uh, the more oil in the mix also raises the temperature and it's an air cooled engine. So, when, um, you know, it's good to let it idle there for uh, a few minutes to warm up, maybe. When I say a few minutes, it doesn't take but a couple minutes, really, unless it's really, really, really cold. But then on the other end, I, I see a lot of people, after you start to shut it down, you let it idle. People are saying, well, that needs to be done for the auto-tunes and stuff like that. But uh, temperatures don't go down when you do that. The temperatures go down when you got air passing past the air, the the cylinder fins and the flywheel. But uh, you know, there's different situations. But according again, going back to how you load it, 
as an operator or how aggressive your chain is, all that kind of stuff, uh, which causes it. It's kind of like a diesel. When you when you start up the hill, does the temperature go down or go up? I bet Chris can answer that one. Goes up. <laughs> so it's the same thing when you start looking at a string trimmer with long line or a chainsaw with aggressive chain. So it starts to starts to add up there pretty pretty fast. So I have a a little bit here. I wanted to do um, go through some some stuff here. What did I do? I lost my. Let me get this put back over there. I want to go down through a, a little bit of what what we've got um, cooking here. I've got um, I've got uh, Zoom training workshop coming up for um, basic chainsaw operation. It might be for uh, disaster groups, preliminary. It might be for uh, 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 new hires. I've got one of the uh, power companies in Alabama is is looking at at utilizing the the Zoom training uh, for their initial days of employee hires. Uh, I've got um, quite a lot of church groups, firewood cutters, uh, so that are are looking to get some some basics down, and then uh, people like Chris and Dave. David, they would be uh, taking on the hands-on portions of it in the field. But um, it's just a, a good two-hour session that we're going to be doing, and that'll be uh, January the 16th at 7 to 9 p.m. And I've got uh, enough enough people uh, to actually uh, say that the, the $25 per seat charge is is pretty reasonable, I think. So we're gonna we're gonna have that session on January the sixteenth at, at seven p.m. I've got all the presentation put together. Be uh, working here on the on the tool bench with sharpening and those kinds of things. So I think it'd be a good session for you uh, for uh, uh, users that are new as well as uh, experienced. So you might pick up something. Um, storm sawing workshop. We're gonna be doing it uh, this time. It's going to be April the 2nd through the 4th in Kingston, Georgia. And that's right outside of Rome, Georgia, about an hour north of Atlanta, about an hour south of Chattanooga, just off of 75. And uh, we've got a nice cutting site over there at the at the, at the Breeden uh, Hacienda. Uh, I used to call it a state, but you never know. It's something that... Uh, uh, we're going to be uh, able to take down some trees. That's a three-day program that uh, works with uh, all the all the aspects of the day one that we kind of will be doing on the Zoom workshops. And then uh, we'll be doing it live there. We'll be doing uh, day two felling and then bucking and limbing for storm on the third day. And then... Um, I do have chainsaw training and consultation. I've got some different risk management groups and those kinds of things that are asking about uh, by the hour chainsaw consultation. And it's kind of what, what David does traveling around to dealerships and things like that is, is consulting on different issues. And so uh, if I, I will help to research it if I don't know, and we can maybe get you some answers to work with your people and formulate training that's, that's needed to, uh, to work farther with that. 
We've got also the Legacy Program, which uh, is going to start up on, on January 23rd. Registration for that ends on January 10th. I've already got about six that are, are signed up for that. And uh, we probably will have no more than 10 to 12. And so we've, um, we'll be talking about what it is to be involved in transferring the knowledge for chainsaw operations. So it's, it's a train the trainer course from the standpoint of, of you should have skills already as far as chainsaws go, but it's going to be uh, looking at uh, how do we, how do we put together a program? Uh, what should be covered? And then also getting into maybe you, you're, you're, uh, you're managing a crew you have your own business. You're managing a crew and employees. Maybe you're you're uh, uh, the instructor for a, a work group of of some business, or maybe you want to start your own training business. So, or be involved with forced applications. So it's something that that uh, we'll be talking about. It's twelve weeks on that, and it's twelve uh, Tuesday nights. We'll be uh, we'll be working from about seven thirty to nine about an hour and a half session each night. And so that's uh, the legacy instructor program. And I think uh, we had we had about eight, uh, went through it for 2023. So, and they, they all had good good comments back. So it, registrations are coming in on that. I've got uh, still some items from our move. Uh, you know, we, we downsized quite a lot in, in August and September in, um, I've got still some things left as far as uh, our e-store clearance items. You can also go to our e-store to register for the legacy instructor for the uh, the Zoom workshops and also the storm sawing workshop. Uh, all of that is is on there. And if you have questions, you can also email me at info at forstaps.com. Um, the e-store clearing items, I've got chisel bit files for square filing. If you wanted to try that, I've got, I've got some, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're all new, but it's all leftover stuff that I've had from training and things like that. Um, and so those, those files are, uh, I've got triangular, I've got uh, double bevel, I've even got, I think, some single bevels left, and then also some some different round files, uh, some filing devices, furred, uh, CSX tool, which is like the steel two-in-one tools, and then also the uh, the uh, uh, sharp force or chain sharps. So those those are available. I've got some low prices on those, just trying to just trying to get them out. And uh, also some T-shirts and some caps, and and I've got our ebook, uh, and also um, sensible woodcutting videos that are really good for for uh, beginning uh, groups. And so those are, are DVDs that that you can get to play. And also all of those things are are stuff that I've used in training over the years, and it, I just accumulated this stuff, and and we need to. Uh, to to get it out of my way here, so we're I've got some good prices and things on it. And uh, if you look here, we started some QR codes. You can be able to take your your cell phone and and uh, shoot this QR code that'll take you to the e-store. And also we've got forstapps.com uh, that you can uh, use the QR codes on. And so that'll take you right to our website and all the information is is lifted there. So uh, those kind of things are are uh, available. So that's uh, 
kind of a lot of the the things here for tonight and and uh, uh, any other questions that you have if you send them to me at info at forestaffs.com I'll, I'll go down through the the chat sessions to make sure that I, I didn't miss anything but if you've got uh, questions info at forestaffs.com is a way to to uh, send them to me or go to the website and and uh, enter from there so all of those things are are available for you and so we hope that uh, you're picking up some things from these Thursday night sessions and be able to utilize them. So there's a lot of good questions tonight. Any of you guys have any other comments? What what's uh, what's happening out there in the in the field? Is uh, some of the storm work cleaning up? Is it uh, still a lot to do? Uh, not so much in Clarksville. We I think uh, between all the different organizations, we got all the tree work done. They're doing some demos now. Couple hundred houses were destroyed. So, wow. but uh, we're all back resting and uh, ready for the next one. I think uh, you got some training coming up. You're headed to Mississippi. Yeah, I'll be leaving for Mississippi on Monday. Got uh, training down there in Hattiesburg, and then the following week I'm in Georgia, uh, mm -hmm. South Georgia, one for a company down there. All right, all right. And David, you got you got things going on in around Georgia and. Uh, got South Carolina a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I was in Myrtle Beach right before Christmas and going, um, got something at the end of the month that pours into um, into the 1st of February down in South Georgia, several places. So looking forward to that. Hopefully it won't be too cold. <laughs> I don't know. Looks like uh, we're about to get some winter stuff here before long. I think it's going it to happens, it, it happens. It happens this year. I, I don't miss that part. Uh, it's man. not as much, it's not as much working in it as it is getting to it. Yeah, right. That's the hard part. And Warren, you got anything on your schedule? Yeah, we're uh, towards the end of the month. We kind of got our first uh, little uh, training and outreach. Uh, situation it's uh so last july there was a microburst um at the north part of my county uh cherokee county georgia and uh we helped out a family there that owns another ministry that utilizes horses um to kind of um outreach to, to young adults and stuff like that and they had a lot of uh a lot of blowdown um a lot of topped pines and all that sort of stuff. So they got some stuff left over. Um, it's kind of perfect, honestly, um, to kind of get get the rust off um, after after winter, you know, after the Clarksville tornado, and um, kind of reintegrate with the team, and also be able to do some local outreach at the same time. So that's coming up the end of this month, and then uh, yeah, we got, some, got some stuff in February too. You got a legacy program you're entered into, so that's right. Yeah, excited about that. It's gonna be awesome. All right. Well, that's great, guys. I appreciate all your help, and uh, we're gonna do it again. Hopefully next Thursday. So if you are able to drop back by, we'll have another another topic going on. Had a lot of uh, questions over the past week on the on the videos. Uh, that we posted and and so uh, i'll be picking out different things and and discussing some of those and if you have like i say any questions uh that we need to topical these topically discuss let me know and we'll we'll do that too so but uh that's uh that's the week we appreciate you 
And you guys be careful out there. And I want to tell everybody a uh, good sawing to you. <laughs>